This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I've had a lot of people come and tell me when we started this series, they say, hey, Alan, do you know there's this commercial going on right now that says okay is not okay? And it's just okay? Anybody seen those commercials? For those of you who haven't, this is kind of actually where we got the idea for this series, and we were discussing some of those favorites. Some of them are pretty good, and this one happens to be my favorite, the guy parachuting. Aren't scared. Don't be. I'm perfectly okay at this. Just okay? First time is always hard. Does it get any easier? I'll let you know. <laughs> nope, the second time is just as scary. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just love that scream. And uh, the second time is it, just as scary. We've been doing a, a series called Beyond Okay. Last week we did one called bouncing back from setbacks, which was obviously a prophetic message that was needed for last Sunday and Monday, which were like the worst two days ever in Houston sports history. And so <laughs> that was, that was a, a great message to have ahead of time. Uh, I, I want to talk about something different this morning. I was thinking about uh, stuck, being stuck. I hate being stuck in traffic. I don't know about you, but if someone says, Alan, you can be stuck in traffic for an hour or you can drive an hour out of your way and get there, I'll take the drive any day of the week. I just, no one likes being stuck. And I don't think anyone likes being, feeling like they're stuck, period, in relationships, in their careers, in their physical. I just, no one likes the idea of being stuck. And so I want to talk about that this morning, making positive progress. That's that's how we move beyond okay. We're not okay with this being stuck in life. So I was thinking about that, and, and a song came up to my mind. It was it, it, from the 70s, of course, and uh, it was 1972. A, a, a group called Steeler's Wheel came out with a song that said, Clowns to the left of me, Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. And so... It was, uh, you know, they only had one song that worked, but that was it. And, and that song will stay in your mind. No one wants to be stuck in the middle with you or without you. And so let's talk about some reasons people feel like they don't make progress so they get stuck. I think one of the first ones is limitations that we've built up in our own mind. Maybe from past experiences or, or areas that we've stepped out in and, and it hasn't gone well. And so we're just like, no, nope, limited there. And so we set up these limitations, especially in our own mind. Number two to me is fear of failing. So afraid of stepping out and, and failing and, and, and making a mistake and falling flat on our face. And that's, that's such a difficult thing to navigate. So fear of failing is one. Third one probably is the most difficult, and that's apathy. Apathy is where you, you, you just don't care. You don't care. Hard one to work with. A man and his wife, Fred, and Ethel around right after World War I when, when airplanes were really captivating the attention of America. And in these country fairs, they would often have these barnstorming uh, pilots who would go around, they would give rides to people. So in this little country fair in Iowa, Fred and Ethel stepped up and Fred saw this plane. He'd always wanted to fly in the plane. He looked at Ethel, he said, I would really love to fly in that plane. And she said, well, Fred, it costs $5. $5 is $5. Fred slumped off. And the next year, 
back at the county fair, same pilots back there. Fred Neff will go through the same thing. She looks at him and says, $5 is $5. So the third year in a row, same pilot, same Fred Nethel, same response, $5 is $5. And the pilot had enough. He said, folks, folks, wait. He said, tell you what, I will give you both a ride for free if I take you up and I don't hear a peep out of anyone. But if I hear any noise, then you owe me $5. And Fred looked over at Ethel and she shook her head. So they climbed in, open cockpit plane. They both climbed in, put their goggles on and their little helmets. And he takes, he takes off, but there was no way he's going to give this couple a free pass. He doesn't just fly around. He does barrel rolls and loop the loops. And he does a stall and then goes backward. When he, he, didn't hear, he didn't hear sound coming out of the back. When he lands, he hollers back over his shoulder. He said, well, y'all did pretty good. I didn't hear a peep out of either one of you. And Fred spoke up. He said, well, he said, I almost said something when Ethel fell out, but $5 is $5. And that, my friends, would be apathy or, or, or a very bad marriage. But here's the idea. The idea for us is that God's plan for us as his children, as his people, is that we make progress. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he wrote him something in Timothy. He had given some instructions, but he wrote something very interesting. It really is, is, is a process involved. This is what he said to Timothy. He said, meditate on these things, the things he had told him. He said, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. So actually what he did was he gave him a process for, for making progress. He said, meditate, think about these things. He said, then give yourself entirely to them. You read that in other translations. It really indicates there's some action involved. Don't just think about them. Put them into practice. There's some action. He said that your progress would be evident. It would be visible. And so the idea is as we make progress, it, it actually becomes visible. But there's a process involved and some things that we have to overcome if we're going to make progress. Now, a few years ago, a, a college did a experiment with a pottery class in their arts department. They took half the class and they divided the class equally uh, with, with no thought towards um, talent or, or age or anything. They just divided the class. And on this half of the class, they said, you will be graded on how many pieces of pottery you produce in the semester. The other half, they said, you will be graded on the quality. You only have to produce one piece. That's it for the whole semester. But you'll be graded on the quality of the pottery that you produce. What they found out to their surprise was at the end of the class, the group had, who had been given the quantity uh, parameter, only produce, we don't care what it looks like, just produce it. They also produced better quality than the group that was simply trying to produce one. And what they figured out was that there was a process involved. When you're, when you're just producing and producing, it takes some of the fear of failure out of it. And so they weren't, as concerned about uh, how it looked, they would, but in not being concerned, the failure was out, the creativity went up, they did a much better job than the group that was so focused on doing one thing perfectly right. There's a process to progress. Let me give you a story from the Old Testament, which is a great picture to me of, 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 a, of a process for how we can make progress, because we all want to make progress in life. So let's look at this story. The setting is is Old Testament, the city of Samaria has been surrounded by the Syrian army to the, to the, and they've, they've had them under siege 
for evidently a very long time because all their food stores had run out and there, there was nothing left. The, the, the hunger was so bad inside the city that they were actually starting to eat their own. And so it was a horrible situation. And so outside the city were, were four guys. Let's read their story. There were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, the gate of Samaria, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine's in the city, we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of, noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, they fled for their lives. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Some interesting things about these guys and we see some real good uh, uh, process of progress for them that is gonna move them beyond where they were. They were okay. The first thing is these are not guys that you would that you would think about that would be used to do anything significant. They had limitations, physical limitations. They were, had leprosy, a disease that eats away different body parts. It's a contagious disease. And so they were also, it, it was a social stigma attached to leprosy. In the Jewish mind, if you had leprosy, you had done something wrong. And so you were pretty much an outcast physically and socially. They pushed you away. So it's not like these guys had just had great leadership potential and, and, and a great self-esteem. They were lepers. They were dying. They were very honest, though, in how they appraised their situation. They looked at it and go, okay, look, here's the deal. We sit here, we're going to die. We're going to the city, we're going to die. And so they were able to assess what the risks were and what their options were. Very honest. They said, okay, here's our option. We go into the Syrian camp. If we go down there, they might just toss us some food. They may keep us alive. If they kill us, we'll die. So sounds a little fatalistic, but yet it was really beginning to look at what their options were. So then they got up and made a move towards progress. They said, this is our best option. I'm not going to just sit here. They weren't okay with just sitting there. They said, we're going to make a move towards progress. We're going to make a move. And if, 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 if it's bad, it's bad. But listen, their action helped them overcome their fear of failure. They didn't just wait for something, food to drop in their laps or someone to come to them. They acted. And action will often overcome their fear of failure. And the beautiful thing is, God was able to get involved. And so these four guys walk out and God used their little footsteps and made it sound to the Syrians like two armies were coming against them. So God can do some amazing things with our steps of action. They made an action. God did something amazing with it. And when they showed up at this camp, there was nobody there. I mean, these Syrians were scared to death. They ran, they left their wallets and their watches and their everything behind, and they, probably not watches, but they left their wallets. <laughs> and, and, and these guys are they're gone. They, they've taken off. And when, when these, these four lepers come into the, into the town, they're like, oh, man. You know, there's like, 
Shoe doggies, Jethro. Look at this. We got, we've got, we got all this. We got food. So they're eating food. Can you imagine? They're all sitting around. They're, they're hiding stuff and eating stuff. They're all sitting around, got some clothes on, looking good, and they're full, and they're like, um, this is not good. What we're doing is not good. What, they're, what they really caught was a, a bigger picture. It's not just for them to soak up blessings for themselves. They said, we need to go help some of these other people. There's people starving. And they went back and told the king's household. And so the people were able to come out and the, the famine was over and they were able to eat. Great story. But there's some lessons we can learn here. How do you, how do you and I, how do we make progress? How do we take positive progress steps? And, and, and this, is, this is important because oftentimes people will say, well, you know, Alan, I'm, I'm stuck. Well, let's, let's look at this. We can learn from these four lepers. Here's the first one. Don't disqualify yourself from making progress. Now, oftentimes people disqualify. Now, maybe it's because of, again, those limitations that you've established in your own mind. Maybe it's your age. You know, sometimes when people get older, they're like, you know, Alan, this is not my first rodeo. Been around a long time. Well, or you hear the, you hear the old one, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, aren't you glad you're not an old dog? You're a new creation in Christ. And so... That, that idea, but that's a limitation you can set up. Gender, background, experience, race. We, it's easy to set up these limitations. But here's the beautiful thing. God plus, plus, God plus you is greater than the limitations that have bound you in the past. A young man went out to spend the summer with his grandfather. And they were, he had a grandfather had a farm and they were walking around the farm and they, and they came to an electric fence. And the young man watched as his grandfather looked around, put both of his hands on the electric fence, grabbed it, pushed it down, stepped over it. The young man did the same. When they were coming back, the young man finally, he said, Pops, he said, you got to tell me, why do you have an electric fence if you don't have any current running through it? And uh, his grandfather said, well, he said, actually, it gets real expensive to run electricity through that fence all the time. He said, so you leave it on enough for the cows to brush up against it a few times and it shocks them, and they figure out, don't go near the fence. In fact, he said, you notice the grass is taller near the fence. He said, but once they've got that figured out, they won't go near it again, and you just cut the electricity off. And the young man said, okay. He said, but why did you look around before you stepped over it? He said, I don't want those cows figuring out what exactly is going on here. I don't want them to see. He said, I don't want them to see what they can actually do. He doesn't want the cow. So I, I, read, I read that, and I thought, uh, isn't that just like the enemy? His job is to continue to tell you that the limitations in your life, you can't pass over them. They're electrified. There's power in them and they're going to hold you back. And it's our job to go, no, by the grace of God, that current is off. I'm going to stick my hands on this fence and step straight over it. And I'm not going to disqualify myself from making progress. Second thing you, we can learn from these four men is to be honest not negative about our current situation. Now, when I say honest, not negative, I mean you take an honest look, but don't go negative. Well, we've, we've always been horrible and it'll never get any better. No, that's negative. What you need to do is go, okay, we're not making progress here or we're moving backwards here. So you're at least honest with yourself. That's not always easy. Sometimes it takes some real courage just to be honest and go, okay, this isn't working out. We're not making progress. Or maybe you look at an area of your life and go, I'm doing well here. So you're just honest. You assess the situation. And then the third thing is begin to make some positive moves 
toward progress. And just make, make some steps. The idea is steps. It's not that you have to make these huge leaps, but we can all make steps toward that. And then we're able to say, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to be okay with just sitting here. I, I want to move forward. I, I want to make some steps. I'm going to assess the fact that there's some risk involved. But if we have the right mindset, it will help us overcome that fear of failure. That's what you mean by right mindset. Well, you've heard, for those of you who, who know us, you've heard us talk about our first church was started in 1989 in my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina. And Joy and I went to start the church. It was poorly planned, poorly executed, and had poor results. And so uh, my parents were there. A couple of people they knew were there. Um, it, it went I knew after the first week, I said, boy, we really made a mistake. And, you know, when my parents finally left uh, in the first month, <laughs> I've always said, when your mama don't come to your, to your you, need to, you need to send your saddle home. And so we were done. So we, we shut the church down and we stayed in North Carolina. We, we, we felt horrible. We felt like just absolute failures. We had failed. And I got a phone call one, one night. We we're sitting at the kitchen table. In a phone call, and this is 1989, this is pre-cell phone. And the phone rings, and Joy picked it up, and, and she covered it. He, she said, it's Pastor Osteen. And I went, he never called me when I was one of his key volunteers. He, he's not calling me now. She said, it's Pastor Osteen. And she handed me the phone. The phone was actually attached to a cord. <laughs> Google it. Anyway, um, I got on the phone, and, and uh, he said, Alan, this is Pastor Osteen. I said, hey, Pastor. He said, Alan, how's the church doing? I went, Pastor, it's not. We, we, we shut it down. Didn't work. And i never forget what he said. He said, Alan, he said, you're not a failure. You're a learner. I said, come on back. I've told people over and over again. I said, that story still gets me. Because I realized that, that, that those words probably saved my ministry. That I wouldn't be here today if someone hadn't told me, Alan, you're not a failure, you're a learner. And so I began to look at that experience. It was a tough experience, but it didn't have to define our lives. Now, here's, here's an idea of that. Matt and I were talking last week. They came over, uh, for, they came over for lunch after church, and Matt... And Kelly and the girls were over there just have, were having a family lunch, enjoying the first quarter of the Texan game. And uh, uh, Matt, Matt said to me, he said, Dad, how do, you, how do we teach our kids to be resilient? How do we teach them to bounce back from setbacks? So we, we started that conversation when the Texans were melting down. I was trying to share biblical truths and getting very irritated at the same time. But I thought... <laughs> I thought, we talked about that. And then, and then Matt said something to me. He said, real good. He said, you know, Dad, he said, you ought to put a parenting tip in your messages. He said, Joy, he said, Kelly and I are always looking for ways that we can help. How do we bring the Bible in? How do we help our children grow? Matt has a lot of ideas. Some of them are good. And uh, <laughs> I thought, that's a good one. So can I give you just a parenting tip? So I'm going to try to do that. In the, in the messages, try to work in a parenting tip. Now that I'm a grandparent, I qualify. I've raised three kids. I qualify for talking about things I wish I had done differently. One of the things I wish I had done differently was help my children develop a growth mindset 
instead of a fixed asset mindset. In other words, growth says, I can learn, I can get better, I can grow. And it looks at failure, if not as failure, as a learning opportunity. If you, if you look up, for parents, if you'd like to Google this, Google growth mindset. And there's a lady by the name of Carol Dweck who did studies on this. And they found that you can take students who've been poor performers by helping them change their mindset, they can become much better performers because they're, they're looking at it different. It's not a win-lose. Sometimes as parents, we try to protect our children from ever experiencing failure. But guys, let me tell you something. In life, and those of us who've lived it a few years, we can tell you there will be failure in life. So instead of trying to protect my children from failure, let me help them handle failure when it comes. And I teach them to do that better. So that's the parenting tip, something I wish that Joy and I had done earlier on. So there's these ideas, things that you can do. Be honest. Make, make positive steps toward progress. Don't look at that as, ah, oh, I'm going to fail. This is an opportunity. You don't do well, you get up and go, okay, I'm learning something. I'm getting better. Let me give you three areas that you can actually show progress in this year. They're simple, but they're three key areas. Here's the first one. You can show progress this year in your relationships. Now, don't look at me and go, well, yeah, if I can get the people around me to start acting right, I would make, I would make progress. <laughs> I, I need you not to go there in your thoughts just for a minute. Remember John Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So I'm going I'm to switch that. Ask not what your relationships can do for you, but what you can do for your relationships. Yeah, I was same level of enthusiasm in the first service. All right, but... <laughs> Here's, here's what you can do, and better words. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. If you would like to show progress in your relationship, and that's any relationship, choose better words. Speak better words. That word corrupt actually has the word toxic or poison. So your words can either be fertilizer to help someone, or they can be poison to hurt someone. And so you say, well, I've been negative all my life, and you expect me to be positive overnight? No, but I do expect you to make progress, that you can get better, that you can choose better words. The enthusiasm is overwhelming in that, guys. But hey, maybe you'll like, maybe you'll like number two. The second thing you can improve in is your attitude. Say, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, wow, we, we came out for this? Yes, you did. The Lord knew you'd be here. This is for you. All right. So, so how in the world am I going to improve my attitude? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's a great verse. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you realize that simply expressing thanks will improve your attitude? And you can make progress. You go, well, I never, I never give thanks. Well, what if you just gave two times a day and said thanks? That's progress, right? Don't, don't, don't expect to become Pollyanna overnight. But you can begin to express thanks. They've even found secular studies have found people who give thanks are happier people. And they've got like, well, express thanks to the universe. Hey, we, we know who we're giving thanks to. We're not giving thanks to the universe. We're giving thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us, the one who cares for us, the one who's done something for us. So 
You don't have to give thanks to Mother Earth or the universe. You give thanks to God. You give thanks to people. And this thought came to me. What if, just, just play a what if with What if you got up tomorrow and there's an angel sitting at your kitchen table and he says, sit down. You sit down and you go, he go, he go every time you give thanks today, I'm going to give you $5. I'll pay up at the end of the day. How much would you make? It's a good question, isn't it? Some of you are like, 10 bucks. <laughs> but, but if you knew you were going to get $5 for it, how many of you be thinking, I'm going to give thanks for a lot of things. Thank you for the air conditioning. Thank you for the coffee maker. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for a car that runs. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my neighborhood. Thank you for my car. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're thinking, that's ridiculous. No, that's a good attitude because the more thankful you are, the more you focus on what we do have as opposed to what we don't have. And it will help your attitude. See, you can, you can make progress. So when you leave today, instead of giving our parking lot guys a nasty look, you can mouth, thank you, as you leave. And say, when am I going to get my $5? When you get to heaven, you get your $5. Here's Here's the, the last one, is you can make spiritual progress. <laughs> yes, you. Say, so, well, I don't know, Alan, I've, I've been doing this a long time. No, we're going to step right over that electric fence, and we're going to make spiritual progress this year. It's not that hard. All we have to do is make steps. So here's a, a great verse for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. So I can't, I got to work. I can't pray all the time. What, it, what it's talking about is we're acknowledging God on a regular basis. Many of you are doing the, the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm with us this, this month. And so it's a, it's a great way just to, your you're, Lord's Prayer, what are you doing? You're praying. You're acknowledging God. You can rejoice in the, in the 23rd Psalm. Lord, you're my shepherd. And, and, you're, and listen, again, wherever you are, we can always step it up and make progress. And here's the big takeaway from this. When you make progress, it doesn't just bless you. It blesses the people in your circle, the people in your life. Just think about it. If, you're, if, you, if you begin to be, be an improvement maker in your relationships, if your attitude improves, if your spiritual life begin to make progress, that's going to bless the people around you. I promise you. It's going to make you a whole lot better to be around. You're going to be a blessing. I heard... Our, Heard of a young man who was an outstanding musician. He was a trumpet player. Actually got a full ride to college uh, playing the trumpet. He went to a, a, a school that had a very good music school. For his first two years there, his freshman and his uh, sophomore year, he partied hard, stayed in school, but he partied. Between his sophomore and his junior year, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus and was his, he became a new creation. His life was radically changed. And he went back to college. Things were different. And he went back to college, and he was completing his major. He was an instrumental music major because of the trumpet. But if you were an instrumental music major, then you, had to, you also had to take a vocal course. The instrumentalist hated it. The vocalist had to take an instrumental course. No one liked it, but they had to do it. And so when he did that... And, and took the course, they said, if you'll be a part of the choir, our big group choir, like 200-member group choir, then it looks good on your, uh, for your scholarship, looks good on your resume. So this young man did it. He, 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 he went and became part of the choir. He said, singing really is not my thing. 
but I'm going to go do it. Well, he's standing beside a guy, and as he's singing, the guy said, what do they got you singing? He said, I got me singing bass. He said, you're not a bass, you're a tenor. He said, here, sing what I sing. So he, he sang the tenor part, and his friend said, I need to take you to the dean of the students. So he took him to the dean of the music school. And the dean of the music school heard him sing, said, you're right, he's a tenor. But then said, hey, I'd like for you to audition for the, the school musical. This guy's thinking, uh, I don't want to really audition. I'm a trumpet player, I'm not a singer. And the guy said, just audition. So he auditioned, and he won the lead. And then the, 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 the dean of music said, I want you to be a part of my elite group. And he began to work with him and train him. Made all these vocal people mad because he's an instrumentalist. He's not supposed to be in the vocal group. But now he's getting attention from the dean. And uh, some, of his, uh, some of his, I mean, he's thinking of himself, I'm getting a lot of haters here. I don't really want to do this. I'm thinking it's not my thing. And so he expressed that to his Bible study. And his Bible study group told him, hey, they said, hey, look, if the dean of the music school, this guy was a well-known musician, if the dean of the music school sees something in you, who are you to argue? So he said, okay. And he kept making steps. The dean of the music school had him enroll in a regional singing contest. Over 500 vocalists were there. And it, it's, it's, like, it's an elimination, almost like March Madness. And it got down where he made first round, second round, third. He wound up in the finals singing in front of these 500 musicians, and he won it. He won, a, a, a won this singing competition. Wound up being a vocal major and an instrumentalist, double major. When he got out, he started leading band or in, in a local high school and began to teach band there. But he never forgot the fact that he could sing and never forgot the fact that he had made steps in that area. And it's interesting because learning to sing and, and finding out he could sing blessed his life, but it blessed my life and it blesses your life. It's Justin Adams that I'm talking about. For a man who said singing is not my thing. <laughs> I wish I could not my thing sing like that. <laughs> but what really struck me was when he said that, he said, I was, going, I was going to quit. I wasn't going to pursue it. And the Bible study guy said, hey, if the dean of the music school sees something in you, then who are you to argue? I thought, hmm, what about you? If the creator of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, if he sees potential in you, that you can make progress, that you don't have to be stuck, that you can move forward, who are you to argue? Who am I to argue? If God sees something in us, that's available to us. And all we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. I'll make steps. I'll start making progress. And that will move me way beyond okay. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I'm going to ask, please, that no one leave and no one get up for just a few moments here, and we'll be out. If you came this morning and you said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, and I know that, and he knows that. Or maybe you're saying, I, I used to have a relationship with the Lord, and I've gotten so far away from him. I don't want to live that way. I, I, I want to come back. I want that 
fellowship, that relationship with the Lord. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the front, sitting right in your chair. This prayer is for you. But if that's you today that I'm talking to, and either one of those situations applies to you, and you say, Alan, that's me. I, I, I want to come to the Lord. I want to come back to him. Would you, would you pray for me? I just need you to do one thing. It takes courage. I believe you can do it. You just slip your hand up. Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? I want to come to the Lord. Or I want to come back to him. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Anyone else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Yeah, way right in the back. I got you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, maybe you didn't lift your hand and you really wanted to. Well, pray this prayer with us. This is something you can do. It's a, it's a heart prayer. I'm going to lead you in it. We're going to pray with you as a church family. You're not alone. So you can pray this prayer out loud so you can hear yourself pray. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who've come in and for those who've come home, we rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you. Thank you that we have the potential, the ability in you to make great progress this year. And Father, in all that, people will be blessed, we'll be blessed, and you'll be honored and glorified in our life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.